0: To the planet today with Matt Norton. Today is Friday, July 30th, 2021. I am your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how are you
1: doing today? Maddie, I am once again fired up. I am stoked for you being on vacation this week. I'm getting like a secondhand high from you being on vacation.
0: Yeah, I'm not even there yet because we're recording in advance and I can already just assume I'm having a good time. So, uh, Let's hope I prove myself and you correct. (laughs) I know you will, Matt. I know you will. I'll do my best, man. If you're new here, welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy, all in an easily digestible weekly podcast for you to listen to on your own time. This show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener.
1: All right, so before we get into our interview with Ryan Burns, we wanted to read another listener review on Apple Podcasts as a thank you for supporting our show. Yeah, so friend of the program, V.L. Croft, calls our show a great way to stay
0: informed and says, the best way to keep up with what's happening in the climate each week. Matt is very insightful and breaks down the week's news into a digestible, accessible format. Nick's music is fantastic, and he adds a lot to the podcast.
1: Oh, V.L. Croft, that is just too sweet. I don't even know if we can accept that. That's just so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Very kind, very kind, V.L. Croft. We're going to keep reading a review or two each week,
0: so please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That way we can thank you for it on the show. So as Nick mentioned, I am on vacation this week. We recorded the intro and the interview that we're going to be airing in advance. And because of that, no quick hits this week, we're just going to go right into our interview with Ryan Burns of Bartlett Tree Experts. Today on The Planet Today, we have a very special guest, Ryan Burns of Bartlett Tree Experts. Ryan's been a friend of ours for a very long time, and he left our hometown in 2018 to move to Seattle, where he quickly got a job working with Bartlett as an arborist. They were founded in 1907 and now have locations around the United States, British Columbia and Ontario and Canada. Great Britain, and Ireland. Ryan Burns, welcome
2: to the planet today. Hey, what's going on, guys? You know, thanks for having me on. Welcome to the show, buddy. Good to see you. (laughs) A familiar face. Oh, yeah, dude. But yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited to kind of chat with you guys.
0: Yeah, and we're excited to have you on and hopefully connect with some listeners who might have no idea what you do when we say Ryan's an arborist.
2: So, hopefully you learn a lot today. I agree, dude. It's actually funny, too, because... uh, I knew nothing about what like being an arborist meant or was. Like, you know, you kind of look out your window as a, as a kid and see a tree taken down, you're just like, I don't know, tree guys or something like that. And so it's very funny that I'm working in an industry that really I didn't even know almost kind of existed before I even just got the job. So, it was a it was a weird little like way to climb the ladder, you know, in terms of figuring it out. And I'm like, "Wow, this actually exists and it's a big industry."
0: You're climbing the ladder by climbing the trees. <laughs>
2: um, Jesus.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, indeed, Norda. Yes. All right. So, um interesting little thing there how you didn't really know what an arborist did before taking the job. So, when you moved across the country, settled in Seattle, what made you apply for the job with Bartlett? Like, what was it about them that really kind of piqued your interest?
2: Okay. So, this is, yeah, like kind of like a cool story. Like, you know, my buddy Nick Shearer uh, went to school for all this basically and got an internship with them in the summer which now I've experienced with having interns working you know with me and for us um so he did that program for I think two and a half months or so and we'd hang a lot uh you know in the summer and he'd tell me a lot about it every day and more and more I'd kind of see that like this seemed like kind of interesting you know it's outdoors I like to work you know with my hands and you know, manual labor, physical labor. And also it was very interesting, him just talking about all the trees, like all the knowledge and what they do. And I was like, this seems just really cool, honestly, and kind of for me. So asked him more about it. And then I was like moving out to Seattle. saw there was an office there and just shot my shot and <laughs> applied and got it working as a groundsman, which is basically just you're there and you're picking up all the brush and running over the chipper and just learning as much as, as you can.
0: So it's kind of like a training position where you're doing the grunt work, the the stuff that's less fun, less exciting. But I mean, they can't just hire somebody and send them up, up a tree right away.
2: Exactly. You know, it's super technical. You know, you see it and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, pretty straightforward. But it's, you know, harder than it seems. So, yeah, I was just kind of taking in as much as I possibly could and had some great coworkers who just kind of taught me, you know, every little process step by step. So it was, yeah, real fun starting from the bottom.
1: And you've always had that like Paul Bunyan vibe as it was. So <laughs> it, was. <laughs> it was probably a pretty easy transition.
2: It was, it was, especially when I had the long beard going, you know, now a little <laughs> more maintained, a little clean, summer's coming.
0: Yeah. You, you were uh, out, full, full lumberjack mode when you first started and now you're uh arborist mode.
2: <laughs> yes. Which is funny because, you know, people see me working with trees and they think, Lumberjack, you know, as if we're watching a cartoon in like the 60s or something.
1: Pull out like a big, big axe, like just throw it over Slung the shoulder. Over my yeah.
0: <laughs> so I was doing a little bit of research on your company, um, you know, to prep for the interview. And while looking more into Bartlett, I didn't realize how many services your company actually provides. So just to name a few for the listeners, you guys do soil care, plant analysis, plant diagnosis, insect management, tree inventory, tree removal, and tree management. A lot of fancy things that kind of come down to everything and anything that matter in terms of a tree's life, you guys are involved somewhere along that process. So for you on a personal level, do you do a little bit of everything or do you kind of specialize in one service there?
2: Yeah, it's a good question actually. Um, I'm not like in, so we have certain technicians who are more so in the soil care, the plant health care. And these are the, what they're called like the plant healthcare te- technicians. So they go out in their spray rigs and, and tr- big trucks and they go out and fertilize and do all this stuff that's a little bit over my head, especially me coming from, you know, not learning this in college or anything like that and not getting the certain qualifications you need, like a pesticides applicator license. Um, so there's, we have a couple guys, like I think there's three now um, that are going out. And so what I do is I kind of do, like, the tree removals, tree pruning, like, just kind of all around the production side of it.
0: Okay, cool. So what what does your day-to-day look like, then, um, as an arborist? And I know that you're a crew leader and a climber, so tell us all about that.
2: Yeah, so I don't know if you want the long answer or the short answer, you know, but I guess we could start, you know, like, going into work. We have reps that come out and sell the work, so... They come down to the crew in the morning and walk around to the crew leads, hand them the paperwork for the day. It could be anywhere from one to four different jobs on the day. So you could be going from job to job to job. Um, And it gives you a list of your crew. So you get that. And then we have our morning. Every morning we have a safety meeting, talk about close calls we had the previous day, um, maybe any highlights, things we need to learn or get better on, um, truck maintenance problems, Which I think is good to have every day in terms, you know, with all the heavy machinery and dangerous things we do day to day. It's good to have. So we start off with that, and then we split up into crews, get the trucks ready, fill them up with whatever we need. If we're doing a big removal, obviously we need bigger saws and multiple of them in case something happens. Um, And kind of just gear up, load up the trucks, make sure everything's ready to go, and then roll out to the job site, wherever that be.
1: Now, Bernsy, what is your go-to saw?
2: Okay, so I think it's... What are we talking? I think it's boring, but standard um my go-to saw is my personal saw that we're all like a lot of the climbers are given um so it's you know a steel 200 and it's just your climbing saw it's just your everyday climbing saw that you take out so you know obviously for bigger wood you're going to need a longer bar and more powerful saw to rip through the wood but for just the day-to-day stuff you're always have everybody's got their own personal saw so it's kind of like one with you it's part of your own gear that you're taking so i'd have to say that
1: nice love it do you
0: take that home at the end of the shift or is that kind of stay at the at hq does it sleep next to you do
1: you take it like into bed
2: <laughs> no but when <laughs> i first got it i felt like i was like you know i was like wow I'm really, i really i made it ma you know <laughs> <laughs> like i gotta cl- i got my own climbing saw hey mom are you available for a facetime i want to show you my <laughs> saw <laughs> But, yeah, never take it home, stays at the shop. Um, but, you know, if it's been a long day and needs a sharpen or something like that, then you, you know, throw it on the workbench and give the old tune-up. So that sounds cool. You have a It sounds like you have a
0: very focused team approach where every day the job is kind of different. It doesn't sound like you're doing the same things over and over, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to not loving doing the same things over and over again at work. So that sounds pretty pretty cool.
2: It's actually – Really awesome also not be able to take work home with me. I think it's one of the best things I get out of it is you know, you get the job done, you're full concentration, full focused, especially as a career leader, you're in charge of your entire career around you. Everybody like is a piece of the puzzle in order to get this job on time and done and done safely and well. Um, So it's, you know, a lot of stress on the day. And then, you know, when you get in that car ride home, it's like, okay. And then I think another great thing is having to like not know what you're going to do the next day. It's it's kind of fun in the morning. You're like, oh, what do we got today? And it's like, oh, wow, you know, we're doing this 120-foot hemlock removal. And then other days, they'll be like, oh, we're pruning a little lace leaf, you know, getting deadwood out and stuff like that, very ornamental pruning stuff. So I find that pretty interesting.
0: So it sounds like you have kind of the opposite of what a lot of people experience with the Sunday scaries, where they know what's coming on Monday. They know they have a full week of work, and they're like, oh man, I have to do this, 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 and this, and they're not checking their emails over the weekend because they know there's nothing good there for them, you are kind (laughs) of just walking in every day like, wow, what are we doing today? Exactly. So in talking with you off microphone, I know you've mentioned that you're a bit of an urban forester. And I know to a lot of the listeners, they're going to hear urban and they're going to think cities. Then they're going to hear forest or forester and they're going to think, wait, that's the exact opposite of a city. So what's the main difference between working in urban forestry and just working in forestry in general?
2: Um, so when I think, you know, forestry, you know, going out into the middle of the woods, basically, and maybe clearing out trees, um, that are hazardous or coming down, it could take out a whole row, um, just hazard tree removal, kind of nobody around type deal, except you and your crew out there, maybe walking a couple miles in, um, I wouldn't know too much about it because I don't have that much experience, but I know, you know, I obviously have coworkers that have done it. Um, and have got a little background there. And there's also, like, urban forestry, like, has, like, a fire section, too. So it's, like, putting it, going out for a couple weeks in the woods and taking out trees that have gone on fire. So it's pretty thrilling in that regard. But I think it's important to know that, you know, trees and city, like, what are we going to have just two separate? You know, I feel like there is that element where we coexist. I don't want to just live in a city and look at buildings all day I feel like it's important to know like yes these trees can sus- be sus- like sustained where we also live and I think it's beautiful when you know you look out your window and you're seeing all these big trees especially in Seattle you see you know looking out my window I'm looking at 130 foot fir right now so I think it's the main thing is just urban forestry coexisting kind of with the trees where you also happen to live
0: yeah I think that's a really important point that you brought up about you know being in a city but also having green space cuz for me personally I lived in West Harlem at the time of this recording I'm going to be living in the Upper West Side in Manhattan at the time of its release part of the reason I wanted to move is to get closer to Central Park because I love my current apartment it's really nice but I'm about a mile and a half from Central Park which to some people they would say oh a mile and a half whatever we're not driving there so you know it's a it's a 25 30 minute walk and at my new place, we're going to be less than five minutes. I walk over an avenue and I'm in the park. And for me, I think being around trees and being around nature and being able to escape the the concrete jungle that is New York City, that's really important. So I think what you're doing there in, in a way is really helping a lot of people have that same experience, even if they're not in New York or Seattle, they're in smaller cities. It's still important to have as much green space as possible because, you know, On a personal human level, it's really nice to look at. Also, it's really good for energy purposes because the more uh, greenery and more trees, the more energy absorption. You're going to have a lot less sunlight getting to the pavement, getting into the buildings and making them hotter and needing to run your air conditioning to make it cooler. So urban forestry, to me, I think is a really, really important part of conservation. And it's something that a lot of people might not even consider.
2: Exactly. I think it's just overlooked just because... I think you see these big cities and, you know, maybe you think of like, oh, wow, look at all, you know, the gas emissions, you know, everything that you see the normal big cities where like New York, Seattle, but you're missing the other side, whereas, you know, we are surrounded by all these trees out here and are able to live with them and for them to be healthy enough to like coexist with us.
0: So I know you had mentioned um, tree cutting as part of the job for you and part of the arborist team and pruning and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure some of the listeners were thinking, I thought cutting trees down is bad in terms of conservation. I thought the whole thing is, let's plant more trees. So why would you have this guy on as a guest if part of his job is cutting down trees? So how does your job in forestry help
2: keep the overall forest healthy? I like that. I'm like the bad boy. Yeah. (laughs) No, but uh, yeah, with all seriousness, uh, I think it's super important, especially... Like we talked about like urban forestry clearly like i'm in seattle there are so many people living here very similar to new york there are trees that die you know whether from it could be you know root cause like maybe it's just up like uprooted or some root disease got in there we have bronze birch bore which is affecting the birches so it can kill the trees so that could just fall you can have a half dead tree any sort of wind can just knock that thing over and fall and what hit somebody's car hit people walking on the sidewalk or Anywhere, so I think it's really important to take out the hazards in it that can really affect people's day to day lives and seriously injure. And then there's also the other side of that, which is the like pruning side of tree work. So whether you got big limbs growing right above a chimney, right into the chimney, into the house, scraping the windows anytime the breeze blows, or you could even be working in, in downtown and you see, every, you know, every city's got trucks driving by. And people walking on the sidewalks, you know, sometimes they're too low and they get hit by trucks and can really cause damage to the tree as well as, you know, coming down could hurt somebody. So it's important to kind of like remove some limbs the proper way so they don't get hit by these trucks or don't, you know, smack people in the face or anything like that.
0: Yeah. And with, with pruning too, another thing I'm I'm sure that you're aware of is, um, nutrient leaching where some of those limbs are starting to die off and, the tree is still trying to preserve them. So it's sending all the nutrients and creating its own food and sending it out there for limbs that aren't going to survive anyway. So in cutting those off, you can make the tree itself healthier because it doesn't have to worry about sending the nutrients out and can get further up the
2: the trunk. Nice, dude. You know what you're talking about. Nice. I I, I did a little (laughs) little research.
0: That was yeah, that was really good. For our Game of Thrones fans out there, it's uh, it's like the Starks. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, dude, that's exactly what happens. Because, um, you know, a lot of trees in the forest, you know, you'll see big, giant dead limbs, like, finally fall off. And how, how much energy was wasted into trying to keep that thing going when it was clearly most most of the way dead
0: yeah and i I think you can also apply that to greater forestry in general where there's going to be certain trees that are hanging on for dear life um it might be better to just remove them so all the trees around it can absorb the, the nutrients from the soil and kind of flourish as opposed to trying to keep that one single tree that might be at the end of its life cycle anyway alive exactly Nick, by the time this episode is released, I will either be playing disc golf in Cape May or I will be on the
1: beach. Not sure what I'm doing yet, but I know exactly what I'm bringing. Well, Matt, there's only one thing that you can just make sure to have that will have you completely covered no matter where you go this weekend. You are 100% right about that. I can't be getting dirt and sweat
0: and sand all over me, but luckily I keep that Vala Alta on me. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.com and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's
1: V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.com and code TPT. On the beach, on the trail, on the Ferris wheel, Vallaalta, has you covered. And now back to Ryan Burns.
0: So um, you've, we've talked about how you climb trees a a fair amount for work Mm -hmm. was there ever a time or what was your first time like where you get up to a tree and you hear the height and they say yeah ryan you're climbing a 80 foot tree i don't know um you know what you're hitting and you're like all right whatever then you get up there and you're like oh this is what that means did you have a time like that or is it all kind of part of part of the job
2: yeah so i don't think like one thing is like the height isn't really ever mentioned Especially out here, um, you know, you got trees that are like 150 feet tall, but I think any tree over 60 looks big, you know. So it's never really brought up. You're saying, you know, when I climbed through the ranks and was starting first getting into trees, it was really scary. Um, So it's one thing just, you know, kind of going up and like maybe the physical exertion of getting up a tree and climbing up the rope. But it's also the factor of just this openness feeling below you that was kind of super eerie for me. And you just do, you know, do the old look down. You know, don't look down. Shrek, I'm looking down. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was that as well as trusting your tie-in point. I think was a big deal. Knowing how to get a proper tie-in point in the tree. So just like I guess a little background for you guys. Of Like, you know, people think, you know, we're tree climbers, but it's like, also, how do you get in the tree? So one thing I'd like to mention is we're not one of those companies that, which there are out there, that take spurs, you guys know what spurs are, there's, you know, you strap them onto your legs and they got the pointed edges on the inside.
0: Like like the cowboys on their, on their boots.
2: (laughs) A little bit, a little bit like that. But yeah, and then what you do is you take the rope, your flip line, throw it around the tree and you just kind of walk up it. But every time you're puncturing the tree, that is only supposed to be done for removals where that doesn't matter, the integrity of the tree. There are some companies that do that for trees that they're even just pruning. And I think that should be abolished and gone. That That is so bad health reason for the tree. Any sort of insect could kind of just bore in that hole too. Can If it keeps getting spurred up, it could really kill the tree. So what we do is we take a throw line with a weighted ball on the end. Like picture, I guess, kind of like a fishing line type thinness, and then basically like a juggling ball kind of on the end, like that kind of weight. Like they're usually eight, 10, 12 ounce, and you take it and you throw it up. Or we have these things called big shots, which is essentially like a slingshot made for adults. Um, (laughs) and you shoot it into the tree. And that's really important out here for getting in any tree over 80 feet um to be able to throw because you can't really throw that high um so you get in there and that goes around the limb but you don't want to be obviously way out on the limb because then if your weight gets on it it could snap that limb it's at it's a weaker point so you're trying to keep okay. it as close to the trunk as possible um so that you are able to get up there and get up there safely but yeah that's kind of how you get up in the tree it's i don't know it's always weird to look at kind of like when you're seeing somebody up there you're like people always ask like what are you climbing? How are you climbing the rope? Are you, what are you pulling on it? So it's, so it's just fun to talk to people about it. No free climbing. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Alex Donald, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no free solo here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the tallest tree you've had to climb?
2: Yes. It's, you know, it's never like a full, like what, you know, this is like 120 and point whatever, but, um, i think the biggest one was such an impressive tree it was a western red cedar surprisingly enough that grew this tall like because usually you get big dug furs out here and massive hemlocks but this happened to be like a co-dominant western red cedar just in this guy's backyard and it was probably 155 160 feet and it was so impressive wow. and i had to throw a cable in it um because in his backyard and kind of close to the house so you with those codon stems you know as they start to compete and grow with one another one could be leaning a little bit farther out and taking weight yeah so you try and support it and teach it to grow in the right direction if it does fail maybe the cable will catch it too but i cable back to that story i cable that 100 feet so that just tells you you're supposed to cable around like three quarters up from where the Kodam splits so I cabled at around a hundred feet and it was yeah, it was pretty impressive. Like to see, wow, I'm nowhere near the top right now. Um, so yeah, that was probably my biggest one. Climbed, yeah.
0: I'm sure you uh you get over a fear of heights pretty quickly if you keep doing this job.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say get over it, because you still have that I think it's important to know you're not invincible up there. Especially, you know, we're using chainsaws and trees, we're walking way out on limbs you know, really challenging our bodies and tie in points in the tree, the weight of the branch. Um, so I think it's important to know you're not invincible and that you do have to take your precautions, but I think there is still a comfortability feeling of once you start doing enough, you get more and more comfortable kind of making these biggest sense, getting out on limbs.
0: So less of a getting over it, more of a getting used to it kind of scenario.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, um, earlier you had mentioned the bronze birch bore, I believe. Um, And I know on the East Coast, there's a big problem with the spotted lanternfly affecting oak tree populations. And for our listeners who aren't aware, uh, the spotted lanternfly is a bug known as a plant hopper. It was first discovered in Pennsylvania in 2014 and has since spread to Delaware uh, and Virginia. But um, I know that a lot of them get in tires when people are driving to and from places. Uh, If they take a pit stop in Delaware, sometimes they'll, they'll crawl up into the car and then you track them as far as Connecticut. Um, that's, I believe, the furthest north that they've been seen. Anyway, the main populations of those are in um, Delaware, Virginia, and Pennsylvania now. And that's an interesting invasive that I'm aware of that's, like I said, affecting oak trees. Is there anything out there in the Pacific Northwest that your team's focused on right now that you think our listeners should be aware of?
2: Um, yeah, so I think kind of what I said earlier um, was the bronze birch borer. Um, obviously, I think everybody's can kind of understand, like, you know, what a birch tree is, I think. That was, like, the first tree and only tree I think I knew before working here, oddly enough. Big white tree. <laughs> and so what's going on is these basically essentially beetles are bronze birch were are boring into the wood and then killing the tree from the top down. So you're having this this dieback that starts to tip. It's the easiest thing to spot in the world. And you hate to see it because we're at that point now where... I'm looking around, and I'm looking at, you know, dead birch top after dead birch top, and you're going to see it. I've driven past the same areas all the time, going to and from work, and you just see it keep going, like, you know, year after year and getting farther and farther down the tree. And it's getting to that point where I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh, wow, look at that birch top. It's completely healthy. So it's, it's getting really weird, and we do a lot of... Birch removals and a lot of birch, just because it's a hazard for people, everybody walking around and they're so brittle and they just basically disintegrate and fall apart. So it's important to like, we either take it down to like the next live area and try and treat it after that to try and save the birch. But we have to remove all the dead, the dead top first. Or if it's way past its life and kind of gone, then we have to remove it.
1: Now, when you say treat it, what do you mean by that?
2: So that, that gets back to what I was saying before our plant healthcare technicians come out and treat Specifically, they have a special uh, treatment for the bronze birch borer. That is isn't my area of expertise. That's why we only have, we have a crew, I think, of 19. And there's two, and now we just got a third plant health care addition. So out of, you know, crew 19, there's three. So it's they all do their own thing. They go to, you know, 12 different jobs a day. And, you know, treating certain trees for whatever disease they have. It could be root, it could be bug, fly, anything. Or just you know, comp, you know, fertilization of trees.
0: Wow! So really, uh, really emphasizing the whole Bartlett tree experts part. Yeah, because you guys handle the whole the whole process, whole kit and caboodle. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's important too. It's like everybody in our office has their own area of expertise. You know, mine wouldn't be treating you know the trees, but you know I can climb and you know prune the hell out of a tree. And, you know, do a pretty decent removal when it's hazardous and really sketchy. And that's the thing about the the removals is, you know, it's dead wood. So it's not this strong material that you're used to climbing on. It's, everything is compromised when you have a removal. For the most part, we get far and few in between of actually having to take down something that's healthy, which I think is important. You know, we're not one of those companies that's just removing these beautiful, healthy trees. You know, we're taking out things that are compromised in, in some way or another, whether it be... It's got, you know, root rot, which is killing the tree from the top down. Or it's, you know, leaning a certain way, you know, struck by lightnings, things like that.
0: All right, Ryan, before we let you go, thank you so much for your time today. We know you're busy and this time difference between me and Nick being in New York and you being in Seattle wasn't really doing us any favors. So we really appreciate you taking some time to come on the podcast, talk to us about what you're doing and hopefully, you know, get what you're doing out there to more listeners who had no idea what forestry and urban forestry and being an arborist looks like. And you know, I, I talk to you, if not every day, almost every day, the three of us and a couple of other friends are in a group chat where we're constantly talking to each other. And I think I could speak for both me and Nick when I say we learned a lot about you and what you're doing today, more so than we have, you know, in the past three years while you've been doing this when we're talking to you the whole time. So this was really cool for me. Totally agree. Could not agree more. Hey. I'm a fascinating guy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Renaissance, Mr. man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, Mr. Fascinating Guy, let's put that to the test. We asked the same three questions to close out every interview that we do. So here they are. Rapid Fire, what is your favorite animal?
2: Oh, God. Rapid Fire, I'm not doing great. Um, <laughs> favorite animal, probably Spider Monkey. Like, what? Uh, was it Talladega Nights? I'm going to come at you <laughs> like a spider <laughs> no, monkey. <laughs> okay, as as silly as that sounds, I did a big project. Everybody's got those coveted projects as a kid. They did, and I did a huge project on a spider monkey when I was in my third grade. <laughs> so when I hear that, I just think of like all this work I put in. That's awesome <laughs> on this spider monkey project. So I like to say that. Yeah, that
1: sounds like a lot of fun. I made like a paper mache volcano in second grade. So try and top that. <laughs> I, I did in
2: third grade a.
0: Um, it was supposed to be a pamphlet on your favorite animal and I made one about the manatees and how they need to be saved because they're endangered because people were being mean. And I stand by that. And now here we are today. (laughs) Perfect. Still holds up. uh, This is the second interview we've done and both times the rapid fire has gone poorly. So... um, Another tangent about favorite animals. I love it. I hope the listeners love it. We're going to dive back into the rapid fire, though. What is something you do every day to try to be more sustainable in your own life?
2: Good question. Um, honestly, I don't think I eat a lot of red meat. I think I had it a lot of, as a kid. And I think like steak felt like this coveted thing growing up, or burgers and dogs and stuff like that. Um, so I really don't eat much red meat anymore it just doesn't do anything for me. And same thing with fish. I don't have a lot of fish either. So I'm kind of almost 90% on this like veg kind of grind. Um, so I'd probably have to say that.
0: I know red meat's a, the, the number one actually emitter of methane gas, which is a pretty serious greenhouse gas. So, I mean, even just cutting red meat out of your diet does a lot for reducing your personal carbon footprint. So that's nothing to say, Oh, I, I just gave up this. Like you're, you're, you're doing something. So it's, worth pointing out. All right. Last question. What is one environmental topic you think everyone should be more aware of after hearing from you today?
2: Um, I think to retouch on what we talked about earlier, I think it's important to know that kind of humans and trees can coexist in the same area. Um, you know, it's not like we could do this big, basically plot clearing or, you know, just remove trees. And to also understand that, you know, the people out there working with trees are doing it for a reason. I don't think they're, most of us aren't doing it to just remove them and, you know, basically kill the trees. We're kind of doing it because we love working with trees and being outside and being in nature. So I think it's important to know that, you know, I'm trying to do the best for the trees because, you know, we're living every day around them just the same. So whether I'm pruning for the health of the tree, I think I take that into every cut I make. I'm not trying to make, you know, a half ass cut that the tree won't come uh, compartmentalize over the wound because it's too far out from the trunk. I'm trying to get it perfect to a T so that this tree can have the best chance of success and healing. Like when I do cut on it.
0: Awesome. That's uh that's really important. And I'm, I, I learned a lot today. I hope everyone else did. I
1: think this was really, really fun. I, it sounds like just like the most rewarding profession too.
2: I think it is. Yeah. I think when you're putting that much output in, you know, the manual labor aspect and pushing your body, as well as know, like you're kind of doing something important, and whether it's as simple as you know, removing branches off somebody's house, or just you know, it could be thinning out of trees that they like. Like, you know, we thin out little dogwoods here, um, so that more air can get into them, so it can basically knock out the brittle deadwood, like what you brought up before, in Norton, about how you know, the tree doesn't have to put that much output into trying to keep those things alive, um, and it can go into more vigorous branches. So, when we thin out trees. Just a little bit, um, it allows that air to come in and circulate through, and it could brush out some of the dead wood.
0: Yeah, that's another thing that you know I hadn't even considered before our conversation today. So awesome that you kind of brought this this whole thing to light for us.
2: Yeah, and obviously I could go on a tangent I think forever about talking about so many different aspects of what tree work is. Like I barely brushed on just getting into a tree. You know, like I didn't even talk about gear, climbing into it, or you know the ropes we use or all the machinery we, we use or exactly what kind of cuts that we have to make or, you know, how to prune a branch even. But there, you could just go down so many different rabbit holes of what it takes to, like, to be an arborist.
0: Well, if you're listening today, you're going to have to stay subscribed for when Ryan comes back eventually to talk to us about part two, all of the things he just mentioned. Oh, no. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, so before you guys kick me out of here, um, just a quick question. I'm wondering... What are your guys'
0: favorite trees? Ooh, okay. I have one that comes to mind immediately. You guys both might know the tree I'm talking about. Uh, Japanese maple. Yep. My my old house, my my house that I grew up in, there was a Japanese maple out by our front door, and it had these beautiful reddish, like dark reddish leaves, and every other tree around my house was green and really awesome. Man, this one just like it popped for some reason to me and it looked so different than the rest. And I just when I was a little kid, I loved it to the point where I would go pick off all the leaves and like bring them inside. And my parents would have to be like, Matt, you're you're you can't just keep doing that. You're going to hurt the tree. But I was just so excited to have a little Japanese maple leaf all the time.
2: That's cool. I like that. Yeah, dude, they're very vibrant. Yeah.
1: Um, and for me, I think my favorite tree is a white willow tree. Mm. Um, those are just like, I just love how they're wavy and they just, you know, they go with the flow Yeah, and yeah, it's just like a nice tree to look at, I think. A
2: little Harry Potter vibe to it, a little Whomping Willow action. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like it might kill me, but it's also
2: beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I've had to climb a few willows actually, and they're surprisingly very brittle, not strong. Really? Yeah. But they are beautiful looking, like that, like weeping effect it gives. It's-
1: yeah, exactly the droopiness
2: yeah (laughs) yeah. nice i like the answers hell yeah
0: all right ryan it was awesome having you on the show and you are welcome back anytime so thanks again for coming out i i really had a blast
2: yeah no really appreciate you guys having me on this was honestly a lot of fun hopefully i'll be back to uh maybe talk a little bit more about tree work and exactly you know what we do even more so you know more detailed but yeah, really appreciate you having me on.
0: Right before we let you go, uh, if anyone wants to keep up with you and what you're doing, where can they follow you?
2: <laughs> uh, I guess you could just, you know, find me. I guess on, I guess I'm mostly on Instagram. Um, yeah, Ryan Burns one on Instagram. I also made a tree page for me that I don't ever use. I just use it to kind of look at other. Um, you know, tree work, and you just kind of get tips and tricks. And that one is Burns of Steel.
1: No way! Way. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Send me that link after. I I stumbled across (laughs) it. I stumbled across
0: it. There's underscores. It's like Burns underscore of underscore S T I H L. Right? So
2: you know more than me. I don't even know what it is. Listen, (laughs) listen.
0: I do my research before these interviews.
2: (laughs) That's why I laughed when. You asked that question because I was like, does he know about that account that I really don't use?
0: (laughs) Just assume assume that if I'm prepping for an interview, I know your social security number. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Yet. Yet. All right, Rye. Thank you so much, man.
2: All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rye. See you later.
0: And that'll do it for this week's episode of TPT.
1: Next week, we'll be kicking off the month of
0: August with another documentary review.
1: Yeah, so we're going to be watching Virunga on Netflix, and it takes place in Virunga National Park. And it's about a team of rangers that risk their lives to save mountain gorillas in the Congo. It's going to be really cool.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to watch that and also to talk about it on TPT. I've never seen that documentary, but uh, I've heard really, really good things. So should definitely be a cool one. Until that episode drops, you can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at planettodaypod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. We'd also really appreciate it if you shared the show with a friend or two. You could tell someone who you think would like it or share our post on social media. Whatever you got to do, just you know, help us get the word out there. Aside from that, if you have any questions you want answered, send them in. If you see a story you want us to cover, send that too. And if you have a guest you'd like for us to have on, you can let us know and we will try to make that happen. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen on Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other service where TPT is available. The reviews on Apple really help the show grow the most. If you don't feel like the show is worth five stars, you know the drill at this point. Give us that five-star rating and tell us why we don't deserve what you just gave us. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norden. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. We're produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music
1: for every single show. Nick, where can our listeners keep up with you? Yeah, you can find me on soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. All right, our logo was made by Kaylee Vitz. Have a great
0: weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Again, check out Varunga on Netflix, that way you can watch it before we talk about it.
1: Peace!